This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. If you'll stand with me today, uh, we're going to be reading out of the book of Matthew, beginning at verses 23 to 33. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother and right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? And Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry, neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come again in the name of Jesus, Lord, um, desiring to give you thanks this morning, desiring to give all attention, Father, to, uh, to you, to the proclamation of your word. As always, Lord, we want to acknowledge our total dependence upon you. Lord, we, we don't want to be ignorant of the power of God. So, Lord, we pray, give understanding. I ask that you enable me to speak, deliver the very message you would have delivered. Grant accuracy, clarity. And Lord, please open all of our ears to hear so that we are sanctified by your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Amen. Well, amen. We deal with the the resurrection today, and certainly a a doctrine that separates Christianity from, uh, I would say, all other religions. And I know that there are others that teach some kind of life after. After death or, or uh, uh, beyond this physical life, um, but one one thing that we definitely have that stands in contrast, and there and there are many uh, that we could talk about, but is our assurance concerning uh, life beyond this life, concerning the resurrection 
even bodily resurrection. And that is itself the resurrection. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because there's an empty tomb, right? Because there's an empty tomb where Jesus' body was laid, you and I have assurance that we're going to rise as well. Um, here, this is another case of Jesus being confronted by those who oppose him. And uh, this time it's by the Sadducees. And uh, they're, again, a, a, a group of religious leaders, uh, uh, probably um, more of an elite group, aristocrats. Um, they are sympathetic to Roman rule. In fact, that helps uh, them sustain their power. And they have authority over the temple and so forth. So uh, we haven't seen him encounter them as much, or maybe I should say it the other way around. We have, as Jesus is traveling from town to town throughout uh, Israel, we haven't seen him confronted as much by the Sadducees. And this, again, I think is because their main function surrounds the temple and their charge of the temple. And they just, presumably, they just didn't take enough interest to go chasing him around the country. But now he is here invading their turf, as it were. And, in fact, he has come in the temple, as we've seen previously, and driven out the money changers and, and, and so forth, showing his, his authority. So, no doubt, they're, they're more than a little bit irritated and upset about all this, right? And, and again, their own power and authority uh, is being challenged here. And that's always one of the, one of the key things I, I, I may not bring to the forefront as much as I should, but one thing that Matthew is doing throughout this gospel is giving us examples of Jesus uh, exercising authority and, and examples of His evident authority in His speech, in His actions, we're constantly having that put before us, and it's part of it's part of Matthew's uh, argument. It's part of him making his case to, to uh, primarily to uh, to Jewish readers that this is indeed the Anointed One with a capital O. This is indeed the Messiah. This is indeed the one who has come to uh, fulfill the prophecies and sit on the throne of David. And so he's constantly showing us examples of. Jesus' authority. And by the way, that would be hard not to do, wouldn't it, if you're recording Jesus' life and His words, um, because it's, it's always evident. <laughs> so, but we see Him stand against the Pharisees. We saw Him last week stand against the Herodians as well, and now the Sadducees. And they never can effectively stand against His wisdom. And, and He always, uh, again, uh, shows His his authority in, in spite of the fact that, again, he's in what is considered would be their turf. So, Matthew tells us uh, in verse 23 that this is the same day, meaning the same day uh, as the other dis- discussions occurred that we were just dealing with. Uh, also, the parable, chapter 22, um, the parable of the marriage, and Jesus being confronted by the Pharisees and the Herodians and so forth. All this is happening on the same day. Now he's confronted by Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. Now, this is one of the key elements that sets the Sadducees apart from, for example, the Pharisees. In fact, we're told that they they didn't believe there's a resurrection or that there was even a spirit. 
So, so they, 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 they totally uh, uh, want to deny the spiritual realm, it appears. This is a, a, an amazing thing to me, uh, that you would have a religious crowd, religious group, that, that doesn't believe in something outside of this life, beyond this life. Although they claim to believe in God, but they didn't, they didn't see any hope of resurrection for human beings. And, and I don't know, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an anomaly. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm constantly amazed, that even in our day, of, of uh, groups like uh, Unitarian Universalists. Uh, I wonder why they have a church at all, okay? <laughs> and it's not a true church, but why, why even have a church when you're going to deny uh, basically everything that a biblical church would stand for? Well, at any rate, this, this is, uh, they are a part of Judaism. They are uh, a part of the elite leadership uh, of the Jews, but they don't believe in the resurrection. Now, Lord willing, we'll, we'll talk a little more about the implications of that, but that, that's not a small thing. It's not a small thing. They don't believe in the resurrection. Now, what they're doing here is they're coming to Jesus. They're going to use this, this, this distinction, not only a distinction between them and the Pharisees, but uh, between them and, and Jesus Himself. And they're going to use this, once again, to try to entrap Him. And by the way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like each other. And this is part of the reason why, the doctrinal differences. <clears throat> but one thing they could agree on was that uh, something had to be done about Jesus. And so they were pulling out the stops uh, to try to uh, do away with Him. So they came, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, verse 23, and asked, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Let me stop there for just a moment. There, there, there are, uh, another thing I should point out is that they, they don't accept uh, most of the Old Testament as Scripture, what would be the Jewish Scripture. Uh, they did accept the books of Moses as being the inspired Word of God. So the Pentateuch, first, first five books. Um, can, one, can one of you young people here tell me what the first five books of the Bible are? Anybody back there? Old Testament. No? Go ahead. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? And then Numbers and Deuteronomy. All right, good job, good job. You almost got them. You came close. Good job. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The books of Moses, what we call the Pentateuch. The Sadducees um, accepted the Pentateuch as the Word of God, but, but none of the rest of the Old Testament. So, you, again, you can see why they would be at odds uh, so much with the, with the Pharisees who uh, at least profess to, to receive it all as, as God's Word, God's in, inspired Word. So I point that out because here, um, in their argument, they're doing what they have to do. They appeal to Moses, saying, Teacher, Moses said. Now, they're, they're using a case from, from Deuteronomy 25.5, um, the, uh, the doctrine of, of leveret marriage, and that's just the idea that uh, as they explain here, that if, if a brother dies 
a man dies and he has brothers and he dies and he leaves no children, then one of his brothers will take his wife and raise up children in his name. So he says, Moses has commanded us to do that. Now they, they lay out this hypothetical situation uh, to use as a, a snare to trap Jesus. They want to prove that he's wrong about the resurrection. Again, this is no small issue with them. And uh, <clears throat> we, we, we talked just a little bit briefly this morning in Sunday school about how Satan works and uh, his, his tactics haven't, haven't changed. Uh, you, you could you could say well in, he's been very effective right but but he works the same way he works through deception right and and he uses the same same old approaches same old lies Rare, rarely you're going to hear of anything new I, this this reminds me of a lot of things you hear today hypothetical situations that are supposed to refute the truth of the Bible and people set them up. All the time. You say God can do anything? Can God make a rock that He can't lift? See, they're trying to ensnare you because either you have to say, He can't do it, and therefore there's something He can't do. Or you have to say that He can make a rock that He can't lift, and therefore there's a rock He can't lift, so there's something He can't do. So, so they, they think they've got you in a, in a, a, a logical um, trap there that you can't get out of. Uh, and, and by the way, we don't say that there's not anything that God can't do. God can't lie. The Bible clearly says God can't lie. There are some things that God can't do. He doesn't violate His own holiness. And, and I doubt that He's interested in making a rock that, that He can't move, uh, incidentally. But at any rate, you, you get confronted with those kinds of things all the time. Hypothetical scenarios intended to logically undo the truth of the Bible. And they think they've, they've got him here. They, they are using what to them is, uh, is good logic to show that this whole concept of, of resurrection is ridiculous. You take the scenario, scenario that they've got. You've got these seven brothers who've been wed to this one woman. Now, in the resurrection, they ask, whose wife is she going to be? It's verse 28. They, they've all had her. They all died childless. And in the end... So, you know, so she gets passed from one to the other, and in the end she dies. Now, at the resurrection, if all this is true, if this doctrine of the resurrection is true, um, then we've got a difficulty here. Whose wife is she going to be? And in verse 29, Jesus answers, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. You are, and that's always the case, by the way. You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. And you've got to, to realize, too, and I know we've mentioned this with the Pharisees, but you, you, you have to realize how insulting what Jesus just said there would be to the Sadducees. You don't know the Scripture. And he's use the same kind of indictment against the Pharisees, and it's, it's um, not, a, not a light insult in their mind. 
Yet it's the truth. Jesus is speaking the truth to them. You don't know that, and He's going to prove it. You, you are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But He goes on to, uh, to give Scripture reference. And I want you to notice again, He gives it from Moses. There are other places He could have gone, right? Other texts from the Old Testament, like, like Job. Job says, I know that my, my Redeemer lives and He'll stand on the last day. Um, but one problem with that is they would not have accepted that as divinely inspired because they only accepted the writings of Moses. So J- Jesus is fine with that. They appealed to Moses. In His um, correction, He's going to do the same thing. You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So he says something first about uh, the state of people in the resurrection. Uh, And and incidentally, uh, I'm I'm not going to look at it at length today. We might turn there, but but if you want to read more on that, read all of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, But I'm going to tell you this up front. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot about what it's going to be like. It gives us some, some good insight, uh, so, you know, some insight, but I don't think we could handle it <laughs> if the Lord just opened it all up to us. So, so we don't know all the details, but some things we know. Here's, here's one of them, uh, or a couple of them here. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So marriage, although as we've said many times, it is, especially when we went through chapter 19, marriage is a lifelong covenant commitment. But when this life ends, marriage ends. All Christians are married to Christ. That marriage doesn't end. But uh, marriage in terms of man and woman, husband and wife, ends with this life. We say, till death do us part. And the Scripture teaches uh, that when one of the spouse, one spouse dies, the other one is free to remarry, right? It's a lifelong covenant. It is supposed to be uh, permanent in that sense, if, if we mean by permanent, lifelong. But, it, but it's not forever. Uh, my, my own... Uh, My own conclusion from, from reading the Scriptures is the, the relationship that we are going to have on the other side when sin is removed from our experience and we are able to serve and worship our God perfectly, the relationships that we experience between one another and that we have at that time are going to be even far better than the marriage relationship here. And there's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any need for procreation. So, so Jesus says clearly, uh, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So this is one of the places he's telling the Sadducees, you are mistaken. You don't even understand the nature of the resurrection life. Now, let me say this too. There's, there are a couple of different ways this term resurrection is used. I'll try to come back to that in a moment. But uh, their point is life after death. And that's what Jesus is, is uh, dealing with up front. He's thinking about 
they are thinking about resurrection at the last day, or you could just say life beyond this life. And they don't even understand the nature of it. They're thinking of it as though it were just, an, just simply an extension, an extension of this life here. So everything goes on the same. Oddly enough, you do find that in some other religions like Islam. doesn't seem to be much uh, spiritual at all about um, their description of the afterlife. But Jesus says that's not the case. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So there's no marrying going on. There's no continuation of marriage relationship. There's no procreation taking place. But they are like angels of God in heaven. Now, uh, if you haven't already done it, you might want to underline that word like because we don't become angels. The, the Bible nowhere teaches that human beings become angels. We are Two different kinds of creation. Angels are created by God. Human beings are created by God in the image of God. We don't become angels. A lot of times when somebody dies, you'll, you'll, you'll hear somebody remark or, or post something on Facebook, Facebook or whatever it is. You know, there's a, a new angel in heaven now or another angel singing in God's choir and that kind of thing. No. We don't become angels. Jesus says we're like the angels, or as the angels, can be translated. In what sense? Well, he's already given us one example. We don't marry. There's no marrying or giving in marriage. There's no procreation. We're like, we're like the angels. And we're going to live in sinless perfection. That's one of the, 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 the glorious things we were singing about earlier. Saved to sin no more. In fact, I think that ought to, ought to uh, excite us and drive us more than any other aspect probably of salvation. Because, and I say that for this reason, uh, obviously our, our main uh, goal, our main uh, hope is, is to be with Christ forever. But here's the thing. We are hindered by sin from having the relationship that we should have with, with the Lord. We are hindered by sin so that we cannot worship Him as we ought. But that's going to be removed. That's a glorious thing. Saved to sin no more. Sin will be taken from our experience so that we can love Christ like we ought to love Christ, so that we can adore Him, worship Him, serve Him like we ought to do. That's what we look forward forward to in the resurrection. It's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not an e- eternal retirement plan, vacation or, or anything of that sort. It's an eternity with Christ, with sin removed from our experience. So we're like the angels of God in that sense. And that's true. Some, some angels did sin, right? But, but these are not the ones the angels of God in heaven that he refers to here. Uh, Those are the ones we refer to as demons. Um, The elect, the elect angels um, are are faithful to God. So we are like the angels in that sense. Verse 31. Now he gets to the doctrine. 
just, or just, the, just the fact of the resurrection at all, but concerning the resurrection of the dead. Because this is what they don't believe. And this is pointed out uh, several times in Scripture. Paul, uh, once when he's arrested in the book of Acts, and he's, he, he is before a mixture of Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, he uses that very doctrinal division uh, to, to divide his persecutors. <laughs> very cunningly. He says, I'm, I, you know, I've, I've been apprehended, I've been arrested, I'm being held for the hope of the resurrection. So immediately you've got a split in the room. You know, all the Pharisees are saying, well, wait a minute. You know, this is not right. This guy's being mistreated and all the... And so they turn on each other. Uh, <laughs> as far as the resurrection, Jesus says, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read... Remember, He already told them, you're mistaken not knowing the Scripture, not understanding, not perceiving the truth of Scripture. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, a couple things here. First of all, I mean, this may just be kind of a side note, but I think it's worth mentioning. Jesus, too... Um, and, and they would, the Sadducees would have agreed with this at, at least, at least verbally. <clears throat> but here's a, here's a confirmation for us: Jesus refers to the writings of Moses as God speaking. Verse thirty-one: Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then he quotes what Moses wrote. It's a quote from uh, Exodus 3.6. I'm the God, and by the way, this phrase uh, uh, is repeated many times. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And there, there are other places, plenty of other places you can go to where Christ affirms the inspiration of Scripture. He, he viewed it as the Word of God, spoken by God. And so should we. And I think Jesus would say the same thing about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, for example. That's one reason I point this out. The, the creation account that we have in the first book of Moses is the Word of God. So he says, have you not read? Again, that's a little insulting there to the Sadducees. They've not only read it, they've memorized it. Have you not read, have you not read what Moses said? What God said through Moses. Here it is, verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, now think for a moment. I think this is Jesus' point here. When, when is God saying this? Well, we know He's saying it to Moses first in, in the burning bush experience, right? Moses is going through the desert and he sees a bush burning its own fire, but it's not being consumed. And so he says, you know, I'm going to go aside and see this thing. And then God begins to speak to him out of the burning bush. And it's here where he 
says this, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, to identify himself to Moses. Now, the point is that this is long after the death of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is speaking in the present tense, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus uses that to prove that they're alive. God is not the God, Jesus says, as, as a conclusion. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And clearly makes the case for the reality of the, the resurrection. Life after death. Um, they're alive. They're alive. In fact, we know, don't we, also uh, from the Gospel accounts that Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus at the Mount Transfiguration quite alive. <laughs> quite alive. He's the God of the living. Now, I just wonder, I'm going to suggest that there's, uh, in light of everything that's been going on here with these discussions, if there's not a little more going on here, um, and, and, and you wait out for yourself, but here's, I, I think, Jesus has already made this statement. Don't you err, or are you, you are mistaken not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. So number one, he's saying, you, you don't know the Scriptures. That is, you haven't understood the Scriptures. Because they knew the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures. So, I mean, he, he didn't mean it just in terms of you, you don't have any mental awareness of it. You know, you haven't read them. You don't know what they say. Not, not, what, he was, not what he was meaning. Because he, he knew full well they, they had read the Scriptures. They did know what they said. But, in, in the case that he's giving here, they have either totally missed this, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Therefore, you know, there, there has to be life uh, after, this, uh, after this life because God's the God of the living, not the dead. They've either totally missed that truth in their reading or they've willfully denied that truth. You're mistaken. Not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, that, that's, that's an interesting uh, indictment there to tie in. And I, and I think those two things are inseparable. The truth of Scripture and the power of God. And you don't really know, in the truest sense, you don't really know one without the other. If, if you really know the truth of Scripture, if you read and understand the Scripture, you perceive what it's saying in the truest sense, the truth that God is communicating from the Scripture. And I'm not suggesting there are hidden codes here. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> there, there, a lot of Scripture is, is difficult and it does require uh, uh, rigorous thinking and study. Uh, but, but, but I'm not talking about codes you know, between the lines or under the lines or behind the lines or, or anything like that. Uh, 
it, what we have, God has given us, it's revealed here, black and white, red and white if you have a red letter edition. Um, it's, it's there for us. But God gives understanding. So you don't fully understand the Scripture apart from the power of God. Right? So Jesus says, you're mistaken. Not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. And on the other hand, we could say the same thing. You, you, you haven't, I would say, fully understood or, or experienced the power of God without knowing the Scripture. And, and what, let me try to say that this, this way. If, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, what, what you're claiming is that God's power has moved on your life. You know, he's, he's given you life, given life to a, 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 a person who is spiritually dead. Now, if that has indeed happened to you and me, then along with that, we will understand the truth of Scripture. It's not that Scripture becomes alive, but we become alive. <laughs> God makes us alive. And so, it, we begin to understand that's, that's part of the regeneration experience. Hearing God's voice. Regeneration doesn't happen apart from that. So Jesus says you're mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, here, here's what I'm getting at and what I think Jesus is getting at. God is not the God of the dead. In other words, all, all these people, the, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and just the, the Jews in general who were unbelievers. They were rejecting Christ, rejecting His authority. As I said earlier, that's a major theme for Matthew, establishing the, the authority of Christ. And he gives us countless examples of, of, um, of Jesus displaying His authority, either through what He says or through His actions. But they are rejecting all of that. And Jesus has pictured that, pictured that in the parables that we dealt with previously. And so there's a, there's a simple truth here. God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the, the living. And there's a, there's a difference between those who are alive and those who are Dead. Right? I mean, just think in, term, in physical terms for a moment. There are profound differences between a, a live body and a dead body. It's, it's not always uh, clearly evident. I mean, you may, uh, you, you know, not trying to be funny there, like somebody sleeping in church or anything, but I, you may come upon a wreck and see somebody laying on the side of the road, and you may think for a minute, well, I wonder if they're alive or dead. Because they're knocked out. So it's not always clearly evident. But then you go over to the, the body, and you grab their wrist, and you feel a pounding there. Well, then you know they're alive. Or, you know, you put your hand in their mouth, and you can feel, the, feel them exhale and say, okay, they're alive. See, there are ways to tell. There are differences. Because if they're dead, you're not going to... You're not going to feel either one of those things. There are vital 
signs. God is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. And so all these people coming to Christ and opposing Him and rejecting His authority are just proving their deadness. They don't, they don't hear His voice. They don't recognize His authority. They don't submit to Him as Lord. What they're doing in truth is rejecting God as God. I think Jesus makes that clear in John 8, for example, when He says to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, you're of your father, the devil. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Now, I said earlier that there are a couple different ways this term resurrection gets used. Let's go to one passage, John 5, that I think is a great example of this. Jesus uses it two ways in the same passage. But they're interlinked. I mean, you can't, you can't have one without the other. John chapter 5. And here again, uh, there's a dispute taking place. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 18 for a minute, you get a little bit of explanation. John 5, 18. After Jesus says He's been working, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Him because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son, speaking of himself, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Now, that's, that's a resurrection that He's describing there. The Father raises the dead and gives life to them. And he, Jesus says He has that authority also. Even so, the Son gives life to whom He will. Now, if you look at verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life. Now, now that it, it's, the language of resurrection is used in Matthew 22 and, and in the verse we just saw here. Again, what we're, what we're talking about there and what the Sadducees rejected is eternal life. Life beyond this, this life. And so Jesus clearly says... Whoever believes in me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has, notice the past tense here, but has passed from death to life. 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. Now, I would take note of that little phrase. And now is. Very important. Um Jesus uses that as well in John 4 when He's talking to the woman at the well about worship. And that it's not location that matters, but it's heart attitude, you know, relationship to God. Time is coming and now is. And those who worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. As Jesus is saying it's already time for that. It matters now. 
Now, similarly, here, he, he says, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is. So, it's not just future. It already is. And now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So, Jesus is saying, the, t- the time is coming, and now is. It's already happening when people are, will be resurrected, or now is happening, so people are being resurrected. As they hear the voice of the Son of God, and they are raised. They have everlasting life. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, that's what we refer to as a spiritual resurrection. John says, we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. So, so he's saying that the fact that we love the brethren, it's a vital sign, just like in that wreck scene I described earlier. You can run up and you feel the pulse or you, or you feel the, uh, the uh, evidence of the, of the uh, breath there. That's a vital sign. That means there's life there. And John says, for the church, for believers individually, a vital sign would be love for the brethren. And what that means is, if there's genuine love for the brethren, what that means is, John says, you've been resurrected. You've passed from death unto life. And by the way, if you want to uh, see somebody expound on the difference in life and death, uh, uh, read First John. <laughs> That's what that, that whole book... He's saying there's, there's a difference in a believer and a non-believer. One's dead, the other's alive. And then he gives the evidences. And that's the major one. If we love the brethren, we know we've passed from death to life. So there's a resurrection that has already taken place. Jesus says the time is coming and now is. When people shall hear the voice of the Son of God... And live. Those who hear will live. That's a spiritual resurrection. By the power of God being raised from spiritual death. Ephesians 2, Paul says, We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, raised us up. He quickened us. That's a spiritual resurrection. And then there's bodily resurrection. You know, the resurrection at the last day. And this is what uh, the, the Sadducees are, are, are primarily referring to. Although, um, you know, logically they would, they would deny the other as well. They didn't believe there was such thing as a spirit or any afterlife. And so, uh, you know, the idea that when we talk about regeneration, born again, would have been foreign to them. It should not have been, but it, but it would have been. So they're, they're referring to this coming resurrection at the last day, the doctrine, the teaching of the resurrection of the body and everlasting life. Jesus also mentions that here. And by the way, you know, we've been plainly told the Pharisees don't believe in that, right? And and there are many people today don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that there's such things as spirit, spiritual realm. I remember hearing Brother Attaway say years years ago, and this has come to my mind often, And it kind of ties these two together. He said this. He said, Christians don't have a problem with the resurrection, meaning the resurrection at the last day, believing in it. You know? Christians don't have a problem with the resurrection. 
Because we've already been through one. <laughs> Sadducees had a problem with it. Because they haven't been through the first one. They haven't experienced the spiritual resurrection. They had no experiential knowledge of the power of God awakening their dead soul to life. Still in John 5, Jesus says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, verse 28, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice. Now, notice that time He didn't say, the hour is coming and now is. This, this has not yet happened. The hour is coming. The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice, that is the voice of the Son of Man, Jesus, and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So both are true. That is, there's a spiritual resurrection and then there's a bodily resurrection that will take place at the last day. And the two are tied together. Those who've experienced the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection will be raised to eternal life. Now, the way Jesus says it here, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who remain spiritually dead, I would say fall into the second category. Those who have done evil, again verse 29, those who have done evil will be raised to the resurrection of condemnation. So everybody's going to get up. That's essentially what the word means. To stand up or rise up. Resurrected. Everybody's going to get up. Some are going to get up to the resurrection of life. Some to the resurrection of condemnation. But there is one sense in which... And don't, don't misunderstand me here, but there's, there's one sense in which everybody has eternal life. If you mean by that, eternal existence. Of course, when Jesus talks about eternal life or everlasting life, the way He said it in John 5, everlasting life, uh, He means real life. He means living in the presence of God. He means living in right relationship to Him, reconciled to God in Christ and enjoying Him forever. So in that sense, everybody's going to get up at the last day and some are going to be condemned and the others are going to be uh, rewarded. Those who know the Lord brought into His presence to be in the presence of the Lord forever. But in the first sense, the spiritual resurrection, not everybody gets up. Some remain dead. And Jesus says that's in His power. The Father's given Him authority essentially to raise whom He Wills, And so like we talked about last week, many hear the outward call, the invitation that we spoke about last week, 
But when it comes to the inward call, it's not present at all. They're totally deaf to it. In fact, they could stand face to face with Jesus. And don't miss this. Jesus, who was Himself the resurrection. John eleven twenty five. Oh, yeah, Martha said, I, I know my brother will rise again at the last day. And she had what we just read about in John 5. She had that in mind. I know my brother's going to rise again at the last day. That's not what she's suggesting is. That's not, that's not helping my loss right now, Lord. That's not helping my hurt right now. I'm, I'm glad about that. I know we've got that to look forward to. But that is distant. And my brother needed help now and you weren't here. And Jesus responded to her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> and that's not just some metaphor. That's not just a play on work. Well, you know, I am the resurrection. He meant it. He meant what He said. He possesses the power of life. He can actually call someone to life. I am the resurrection. And these people are so dead, if that's, I guess, the way to say it, so blind that they could stand face to face with Jesus, the resurrection, converse with Him, and deny the resurrection when they're standing there talking to Him. And it's because, because they're dead. And when Jesus spoke, they didn't hear the voice of God. They didn't hear the voice of God in the Scriptures. Jesus said, you're, you're mistaken. You don't know the Scriptures. Again, in John 5, He says, you search the Scriptures, thinking that you, in them you find eternal life. It is they that speak of Me. In other words, the, the, the Scriptures, even, even the books of Moses, in fact, all the way, through the Old Testament. The Scriptures are crying out a testimony testifying of Jesus. I mean, it's not just certain passages that He'll be born in Bethlehem or that He'll ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. donkey. It's not just certain passages like that. It's all of Scripture Jesus is talking about. It is those, the Scripture, it's they that speak of Me. He's the central focus of them is what He's saying. They're all about me, and you don't even know it. You're mistaken in your doctrine because you don't understand the Scriptures. You don't hear what the Scriptures are saying, are saying, nor do you understand the power of God. That is, you have no experiential knowledge with God's power. You're dead, and you read the Scriptures as a dead man. You live, and I know this sounds like, an oxymoron, but you live as a dead man. You're a walking dead man because you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. And God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those who knew Him, they heard His voice. And His power was at work in their life. And is it any wonder? And again, this is coming back a little bit to Matthew's focus all the way through here. Is it any wonder 
that verse 33 says, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. <laughs> and the tense of the verb there is, is, uh, is telling because it, it, it's the idea of they, they continued to be astonished. Or they kept on. They were being astonished. They were being astonished at his teaching. So it's not just that one thing that he said. But that was just one more thing on the pile. They were constantly being astonished by His teaching. One last note here and then we're, we're done. I just, in thinking about this, I, it, it, it's amazing that it can be so, but I know from reading the Scripture it is so. <clears throat> Some of these people that were astonished at his teaching, I mean, they, they, they could hear uh, the evidence of the authority. I mean, they would say, you know, uh, he, he's, he teaches as one having authority, not like, the, not like the scribes do. Or in Luke 4, you know, they spoke about the, the gracious words flowing from his lips. I mean, they, they, they recognized that, acknowledged that. And in and, and that situation, then they took him out and tried to push him off a cliff. What I'm saying is, some of the people who were astonished at his wisdom, nevertheless, opposed him and continued to reject him. And of course, others like 11 of the disciples and the women that followed him, others were astonished at his wisdom and it was just more evidence to them that he is exactly who he claims to be. So they all recognize something there. You know, even the demons would cry out and say, We know who you are. You're the Holy One. But they didn't all submit to him. Now, that, that's the difference between the living and the dead. I mean, it's not just saying, wow, he showed them, didn't he? Wow. Man, every time they, they throw a punch at him, uh, you know, he just knocks them down. It's not just saying, boy, he's, he is a great moral teacher. The, the right response is submitting to his lordship. And that's the ultimate vital sign. How do, you, how do you know whether that body's dead or alive? How do, how do I know? I mean, I may profess to be a Christian. I may go to church. I may go through all the outward motions. But how do I know in reality whether I'm dead or alive spiritually? Are you submitted to Him? Do you love Him? Do you know that He loves you? Do you know that when He went to Calvary, it was not not just a general payment for all the bad things and mistakes out there, but do you know that your sins were paid for? And are you experiencing His power? 
Have, have you heard Him call you out? It's a strange thing, isn't it? One, I mean, one minute, one second, Lazarus is laying there dead, no awareness. The next thing, he hears the voice of Jesus and, and he's aware he's alive. Spiritually, can, do you remember a time when that happened? When you, when you heard Jesus' voice calling you out of the tomb and saying, come, come forth, come to me. And even now, when, when, you, when you read the Scriptures, when you read whether it's Moses or Job or John or Matthew, do you hear the voice of God? Do you hear the voice of the Son of Man, Jesus? Do you hear God's voice when you read the Scripture? Is He speaking to you? Do you know the Scriptures and do you know the power of God? Experientially. That's the difference between the living and the dead. God is not the God of the dead, Jesus said. He's the God of the living. Those who know Him in truth are alive. Knowing Him makes a difference. The difference in life and death. Would you stand, please? Guys, I, some of you may be, may be hearing him speak this morning. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't see that. I can't see that going on. I can't. Uh, sometimes I, you know, I think I see evidences, but I can't say for sure. But you may, you, you may hear him speaking to you this morning. You may be awakened to the fact that, you know, what I need a savior. Without Christ, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. In fact, if you can, if you realize that, I think something's going on. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to presume too much, but that could certainly be a vital sign, couldn't it? Where are you at with him this morning? Think about that as we pray. And if I can pray with you or any, you know, plenty of other people here also that would be willing to do that, but certainly uh, I'm willing to do that if I could pray with you. Don't leave here today um, without, without knowing, without going before the Lord and getting those things settled by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we do love You and we do thank You. Lord, we, every one of us here today, no hope in and of ourselves. Lord, if, if You had not intervened, we'd all be dead in trespasses and sins. Our future would be eternal damnation. It's by Your grace that we're saved. It's by Your grace that we, that we live day to day as your children in this world.
And certainly we do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know You in truth, Lord, we pray. Uh, we pray that You'd not give them any rest until they cry out to You for salvation and mercy. And Lord, we're so thankful to You for Your mercy, Your faithfulness to receive all who come by grace. Go with us today, we pray. Enable us to be witnesses for You. Enable us to honor You in all that we do. And Lord, if You will, bring us back safely tonight. And again, grant that we may have sweet fellowship centered around You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.